Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, where this week we are joined by Antrim hurler Donald Nugent. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and a performance and wellbeing consultant with sports and business leaders around the world. Having struggled with addiction to alcohol and cocaine, Donald Nugent spent three months in residential rehabilitation. He is now an addiction facilitator and the founder of Let's Face It, where he raises mental health awareness and releases his own weekly podcast. During this powerful conversation, Donald and I reflect on our respective mental health journeys and share our different experiences of hitting rock bottom, reaching out for help, and lessons learned in recovery. The Player's Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career, and transitions. Please go to bio 360 gaelicplayers.com to learn more. If you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and are impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, please check out the likes of the Samaritans, Pieta House or Quinn Moira. But for now, please sit back, relax and enjoy part one of our two-part special with Donald Nugent on The Player's Voice. Donald Nugent, you're very welcome to The Player's Voice. Really, really happy to have you on. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, you're an Antrim hurler. You're an addiction facilitator. You're the founder of Let's Face It. So to kick us off, I was just going to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you've been on so far. Yeah, firstly, on like thanks very much for for having me. Um, I've been following the, the Player's Voice there since it launched, like, and I think it's a it's an invaluable tool for us as players, uh, and I suppose for supporters even too. For like, it's very often you know supporters are maybe just turn up the game on Sunday and not really getting to no one understand the people behind uh, what we're actually doing every week. You know what I mean? So and it's, it's a big, big part of my values and my beliefs. So I think it's a great job you're doing. So thanks for having me. But yeah, my name's my name's Donald Legend, and I'm from I'm from West Belfast here in County Antrim, and. Uh, I suppose, um, like today, we were just chatting there before, like my life is good. I've found a balance in my life. I'm genuinely sort of content and happy within me and my own skin. Um, but it wasn't always like that, as, 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 as you know, and I suppose we'll get into it a wee bit more later on and you've been there yourself. But I suppose a quick background. I, I was in Sister Concilio's Kiyomura, uh, would be nearly four years ago now in June, which is a rehabilitation, uh, center. Uh, where I finally flew to Tallinn. I was addicted to cocaine and alcohol. Um, I suppose even going back a wee bit deeper and further, like from a child, I, um, I always lost myself within, you know, up against the wall, like playing games, coaching, maybe even in school, you know, everything, my whole life was revolved around the GA. And that was due to what was going on at home, basically. Like the hurling the football field was was my safe place. Um, I went through quite a traumatic childhood, which I'll talk about in a bit here. Um, but that but basically I was an addict long before I picked up a drink or picked up a drug, um, Alan. And like the whole way through school, I was quite successful in terms of, you know, individual awards, even with my club, St. John's, we were um, very, very successful, a minor and under 21s, uh, going into maybe even like sixth year, uh, I was head boy in the school. We have a thing up here in Ulster, or you're, I suppose you, you're an Ulster man, uh, like college is all stars in school. Like I, yeah. I, I had three colleges, all stars, like in, in, in fifth year, um, lower six and upper six. And, and by right, you're only supposed to really get them things whenever you're upper six, getting ready to go to university, you know? And, and I think, and it was nothing to do with talent. It was just to do with me just being obsessed because it was my sort of, it was my outlet. Mm. And then um, you get the 18, I got, I was head boy in the school, got my A-level results and I got set, accepted in the, the St. Mary's Teaching College there in the Falls Road. And uh the start, it was quite good. I was captain of our freshers football team. I was midfield along with Cahill McShane there from Throne. Like, and like, 
I was probably a role model to a lot of people. I was a role model to a lot of people. And um, do you ever see the advert on on TV? Um, there's a guy I party him of all his friends, and he comes home and he looks in the mirror and he sort of pulls the mask off, mm-hmm. and he can't really look or doesn't really know what he's facing in the mirror. That was kind of me, even at a school level. Um, we have a place called the Holy Lands. And it's sort of the, the the student area where everyone goes and lives or whatever. And that's whenever I was probably firstly exposed to alcohol. Right. Um, and just to put it in the in the context, like uh, there would be addiction within my family, like you know. And I sort of grew up not wanting to get involved in that. And because of, like hurling and football meant so much to me, I always sort of was like, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do drugs. I'm just going to be the best hurler in Antrim or the best footballer in Antrim. Because, like at Upper Sixth, I played two national leagues, like hurling and football uh, for, for Antrim seniors. Like, and, you know, so that's that's sort of the level in terms of where I was at, 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 at that age. So like drink wasn't really on the radar, but of course, and I don't begrudge, I don't begrudge drink. I'm definitely not a hypocrite or anything like that. And I actually sort of, I'm all for the sort of student life and mystery tours and getting to know people. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, but not whenever you have all this madness going on in your head, what I had from, from when I was a child. Like, um, and I, I started drinking then. Um, but as I say there, it was sort of casual enough. And then before I knew it, but then probably a six month period. I, I stopped going to university, stopped right. going to classes, spent most days in the pub. Um, and then that summer I got, got asked to go over to play football in Boston. I was over playing for, for Wolf Tones over there. And that's, that was, that was probably the first time sort of drugs were maybe in my radar, but never really said, I I'll, I'll take them. But when I came back, I remember one night in the Holy Lands, uh, one of the boys put out a plate, and there was a load of cocaine on the plate. And I think this is important to note too, like, like that I feel like if I didn't take the coke, that I wouldn't fit into that particular friend group. Absolutely. That I feel like if, uh, you know, they made a thought that it was a big woose or something like that, you know, I, like I did feel all them things, but, but I didn't, I rem- and I remember that night clearly, like I, I made the choice. I made the choice to, to be like, yeah, get, I'll take a line of that cocaine. And straight away, I felt an instant sort of relief, a different sort of energy, a different sort of escape. And I wouldn't say I was addicted to it straight away, but it it definitely made me start thinking like, Jesus, this has given me a wee bit of confidence. Um, but again, inside about a, a six month period after that, it was, it was my life. I was, I just couldn't function without it because of all that crazy stuff going on in my head, the cocaine became a big part of my life. Alcohol became, and it wasn't just a couple of pints. It was Jameson. Do you know, it was, it was this, it was hard. It was hardcore stuff. And, and I completely lost the run of myself, but I was kind of living off the reputation now as Donald Nugent for, at an 18 year old. So I was still getting kind of opportunities to go into different places like America. And then Warwickshire came calling, uh, over in England. And obviously there's a few pounds floating about England and you get a few pounds to play or whatever. Don't know if you're allowed to say that out loud, but 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 it was like and and I was walking about. Uh, I was on a building site too, and it, whenever I was 20 years of age, I was going about Birmingham with two grand a week cash in my pocket, with no one holding me accountable. Me not really having a purpose or like any values, or didn't really know who that person was. Sort of looking back in the mirror, and uh, it was just self destruct. And it and it kind of got to a stage where. I did get to a stage where I was just locking myself in my room in England. Like, and I remember one particular night, um, we all have sort of medicine cupboards in our houses. And I went in and wiped out the whole medicine cupboard, brought it into the edge of my bed with a bottle of whiskey and just taking tablets and drank this bottle of whiskey and just hoping that I would never wake up again. Um, and that was, that was, that was very, very scary because I remember the next day, Gavin Duffy, who's a, who's actually from Belfast, he was overtaking the, he was overtaking the Warwickshire team and, uh, he came in and he was sort of got me a survey, thankfully, like, but he, he sort of brought me around a bit. And, uh, and of course I, I was, he was, I remember him saying to me one night in Birmingham airport, Donald, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I was like, Gavin, I don't want to be here. And he was like, well, we'll go home. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to be alive. I, I just can't face this anymore. But of course, me being me, 
I got on the plane, went home and then pretended like, ah, my life's perfect. It's okay. I'm putting on this perception again. And a lot of it was my ego. A lot, and, and, and I'm able to say that now, but a lot of it was my ego and, and me sort of putting on this perception to other people that my life is sort of perfect and look at all these opportunities that I'm getting. But I, I even noticing like patterns of behavior. And again, these are only things that I learned from Concilios and actually doing the work with them myself. Like I used to jump from friend group to friend group or relationship to relationship because I wasn't comfortable with people com- becoming close to me. So anytime, like say we're in the club there and people be like, Jesus, he's drinking an awful lot or he's taking, he looks like he's, he's taking drugs. Then I'd be like, right. They're noticing the real Donald Legend here. I need to do something mad to, to, to try and jump ship or whatever. And I, I, I transferred clubs mm-hmm. uh, here in Belfast. I transferred from St. John's to Lav Jerk, who are probably our biggest rivals. Um, and in, in 2017, I won a championship with Lav Jerk, a senior football championship. And even like, even that, you know. <laughs> I'll go into a wee bit for, like my dad was the manager of St. John's that day. My brother Podrick was doing was doing nets for St. John's and there was five five minutes five minutes left in the game and and and, and Landerg were two or three points up. And Podrick got the ball and he went to put it on the tee. And I made a beeline for Podrick mm. and put the ball outside of Glenavy, outside of the pitch in the terrace. And Podrick came over and sort of half hit me. But of course I rolled around the ground and making a big scene of this. And Podrick got a straight red. And, you know, there was a big uproar of Ray and the pitch or whatever, and uh, Landerg won the championship. And that was probably the worst day of my life, do you know, because like, you know yourself, the GA isn't, it's not really just a hobby for us. Like, you know what I mean? It's a way of life. It's, it's, it's just means so much and so much to our families and our communities. And, and I used to, even growing up, like on Bebo, like my password for Bebo it used to be the 170320 dot dot. So the 17th of the third, mm. 2000 and whatever. And that's whenever the All-Ireland Club Finals used to be in Croke Park on St. Patrick's Day. And that was always my dream to grow up and just play with my club in St. Patrick's Day, All-Ireland Final Day. And I just, I went to bed every night sort of thinking about it. Again, that escapism from a child. And, uh, and just seeing, like looking over across in the presentation that day and seeing my dad and seeing Podrick and seeing like everybody, all my best friends, um, heartbroken mm-hmm. and me being a part of that. It just, it was, it, it, it was genuinely just made me completely within myself. But again, me being me and I suppose like the traits or whatever of addicts because I've worked with them every day now, it's like papering over cracks and of course I was putting up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram that night like that you know there won't be a cow milked in Hannistown and I'm not making a joke out of it and then the day after I actually met Podrick my brother in a nightclub and we got in a photo together and I put up that blood sick of the water and blah 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 it's irrelevant of what happens in, in, on a picture um, but that was probably the last time I really had a proper conversation with Podrick for about three years Um and that's whenever my life just went downhill big time. Like, and England actually happened after that. Uh, sorry, just uh, I got to. No, you're good. England, England happened after that, and like I came home. I came home from England. I don't even know how, but I come home with about twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two grand in, in my bank account, and I was like, right, if I go back here and sort of get have a deposit for a house, um, I'll get a house. What I'll do then is I'll transfer back to my clubs and Johns. I'll get back in with the people who I grew up with. Then I'll be okay. Then I'll be okay. I'll be able to start again. My problems won't come with me, blah, blah, blah. You know all this. Mm. One thing that I've learned that is no matter where you go, no matter how many different friends you get, no matter how, girl, how many girlfriends you get, like how many fresh starts you want, like if you don't sort out what's going on internally, mm. then you're in trouble. Like within six months, like I did transfer back to St. John's, but within six months, I had nothing. All that 20 odd grand was put up my nose or down my neck. And like, and I remember, I'll never forget this night. I was walking down the lane in St. John's and one of the boys said to me, Donald, do you want to lift home? And I was like, no, no, you're grand. No playing a cool again. Like, and at this stage, I was living out of a rucksack. And right. uh, I went into, I went into a pub there in the Falls Road and come back out and, and, went to get more money out or whatever and there's nothing in the bank account and I remember looking up at the sky and going what am I going to do I like you know I'm 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 and this was all due to just not being honest with people because mm-hmm. I did have people in my life who genuinely wanted to help me 
Um, but again, back to my ego and back to all these things that I would rather have laid under a bus shelter. I would have rather sofa surf for six months or whatever than actually tell people this is what actually is going on in my head. Um, and I remember after after that night, like going down the lane and stuff like that, I remember I woke up on my granny's porch and it was very seldom that I would have done that, you know. And uh, I suppose anyone who follows me on Instagram or any of my social medias, I have an uncle Eamon who's who's Down syndrome and he's he's my best friend in the whole world. Like, and we have been since I was born. Like, I love him to bits. And my granny opened the door and she was in tears, but Eamon was over her shoulder in absolute tears as well. And it's a vision that I'll never ever forget. And they were just saying, please don't know, will you just go and get some help? And it was then that I probably knew, Alan, that if I if I wasn't going to go get help, the next thing that they'd be planning for me here was a funeral. Yes. And uh, and this and this sort of next part shows the importance of the, I suppose, the GAA and the community and how, how lucky we are to be involved in such a, a community, um, which is the GAA. And I there's this guy called Paddy Hannigan and he's from St. John's. And from my, from when I was about 15 or 16, he always used to say to me, Alan, if you ever need anything, give me a shout. If you ever need anything, give me a shout. And I was going, what would I need that Egypt for? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and of course me playing it cool, but I rang Paddy Hannigan that day and the phone rang twice and he just answered the phone and he says, are you ready? And I was going, hi, Paddy. I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I think I'm ready. And he came over to me and he was asking, he came over to my granny, he was there within half an hour and he was asking what the crack was and um, I told him, I was just honest. Uh, I was drinking the way I was drinking. I was taking drugs the way I was taking drugs. And we phoned Sister Concilios. Um, yeah. And on the third of the third of June 2019, I I admitted myself in there. And I knew um uh for me for, for me to go there and for me to actually want the help and want the change that I knew I needed to start being honest. Like I I've never I'd never been honest in my life because of these things that, that I talked about at the start with my childhood and the trauma and stuff like that. And the, the day I started being honest on was the day I thought that I had a wee bit of a glimmer of hope. And I remember my key worker at the time was, was Willie O'Connor. He's from Dublin and uh, who's actually, we're really, really close now and do a lot of work with each other now. And I said to him, Willie, would I be able to get a chat with you? And I built this whole thing up and I, I, uh, which, you know, I was carrying it with me from my whole life, I suppose. And went in and had the conversation. It lasted 10 minutes, but I told him what was going on. And what was going on was that, that I went through sexual abuse whenever I was a, ch- a child. Um, and like, it wasn't just the incident or incidents that happened that, that made me the way I was in terms of escapism, but like going back to even that 18 year old who's in there, who's in St. Mary's University, like had the world at his feet. Like I remember at 18 years of age, I'm going down into the town and we have a nightclub called the Kremlin, which is a gay bar. And uh, I'm standing in the middle of the Kremlin looking around me going, is this what I am? Am I, not that there's anything wrong with, with, with people like her gay or anything like that, but I was in such a mixed up, insecure, didn't, was questioning my own sexuality because I couldn't have, you know, sex with girls. And then I was going, like, even had girlfriends at the time. And if I couldn't have sex, then I was doing something crazy, cheating on them or stealing or doing land or doing whatever. So they wouldn't really know who the real me was. So that conversation lasted 10 minutes on. And honestly, it was, it was amazing. And not that the problem went away or anything like that, because I'm, it's something that I have to work on. I'm still I was away this morning doing bits and pieces, uh, working on that and trying to do my somatic stuff and, you know, which is great. But whenever I had that conversation with Willie, he was able to then say, hold on, but there's such and such is going through that, such and such is going through that. And I went, what? I thought I was the only person in the whole world that was going through what I was going through. Um, so it was then that I sort of got a, got a glimmer of hope and I had a journal and for anyone that's listening, maybe struggling, like, and maybe we'll get into what you do to keep yourself well too. Uh, but anyone who like, I see journaling and writing down how you're feeling, like it's the best thing. And I still do it every day now, but I wrote at the bottom of it and I don't know where this came from. Be excited about who you want to become. And every day, no matter if it was a crap day, a good day, anything different, it was be excited about who you want to become. And in, in rehab, like you have, you have no TV, you've no newspapers, you've no contact with the outside world, but what you do have is an imagination, <laughs> do you know? And it was then that I, I didn't know what it was called, I do now, and it was called visualization. So I was going to bed every night going like, 
like, what could I be? Like, what could, like, and I was seeing myself in Croke Park with Antrim and I was seeing myself maybe standing in front of people, like talking and like showing people that like, like this is how you can get better. Like I went through all this and get out of it. And you know, it sort of gave me so much energy and, uh, yeah. And it was then that it was just like, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this and keep working on myself. And I was there for three months and, uh, and it genuinely, it genuinely changed my life. It, it actually gave me a life. To be right. honest, it gave, it gave me a life. And and ever since then, it's just been constant work on myself, I suppose. But that's a, <laughs> long and short of my uh, journey, I suppose, to, to where, when I got the rehab on. And, and like I would often call it the journey of no destination. And I suppose mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into that a bit more now. Um, yeah, in terms so of ups and obstacles. Obviously, it goes without saying, first of all, thank you for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. Um like as I just listened to you there, like even heading into this conversation, Donald, I knew there was going to be loads to talk about, and I feel like you've done such a powerful and amazing job, kind of giving the overview of that journey, and then kind of what I'd like from this conversation in terms of is just kind of revisiting kind of key moments on that, and maybe taking the conversation to a second layer because one of the things that comes to mind with me, as I just as listening to you there, is like there's so many different ways in this universe that we live in for someone to reach rock bottom. So many things can happen in life. Um and you've given us such a good snapshot and insight there into into how you arrived to that point. And obviously, as you touched upon, I have my own experiences on on, on that side of it. And Usually with the player's voice in every episode up till now, Donald, like I kind of we've done a question and answer and we kind of dig in and kind of put all the limelight on you. But I suppose from our conversations over the last couple of weeks, I felt it would be nice to kind of try and do more of a deep dive into kind of mental health issues and kind of key points of that journey. Um, and I'm kind of very appreciative and very aware of what you've shared with me there. And I suppose before we kind of start that journey, I was just going to, I feel like, I, I feel compelled to give you the opportunity to like, do you have, you obviously have your own podcast and we're going to cross this over with Let's Face It, but is there anything kind of on my own journey on my side that you'd like to know for me kind of before we kind of start digging into kind of some of those points around reaching out for help, around getting treatment, around staying well? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and Alan, I've been reading like the last the last couple of weeks different articles that you're doing and the books that you've had, and and to be honest, like this goes as far back as whenever you sort of came out and talked about your mental ill health or your journey. Like, no one was really talking about it then. Like, like I had people who I could look at the likes, you know, who were public and be like, you know what, such and such you get through it, so I can get through it. Especially within the GAA, like you were kind of, you know, one of the first to actually come out and be public, like. How how did that even make you feel on making that breakthrough in terms of making things public? But even before you answer that, I, I sort of wanted to get into, you know, maybe like obviously mine all stem, stem from like a, tra- a trauma uh, mm-hmm. with the sexual abuse. And, and I'm okay talking about that now. And this is only a recent thing being able to talk about that. But do you think that even from your experience that this comes from a particular stem of of like an incident or is it? what was yours due to insecurities or where do you think yours actually came from in terms of the depression and not feeling good about yourself? Um, yeah, it's a great question. I suppose where I go back to and for anyone that doesn't know, like, so I would have gone public in 2013, actually. It's just, yeah. it's coming up to the 10 year anniversary of me publishing mm-hmm. that piece. Um, like I was playing McCavan at the time and like, yeah, I actually, like, I think I was the first like active player to kind of go public, like in, in terms of I'm playing, I'm dealing with this issue. It's active. It wasn't like me, you know, a retired player looking back, kind of reflecting back on it. It was, and to your, like, to the point you made there, like, I wanted to change it. Like, I kind of knew deep down that I was like, right, I'm going to be, I'm going to try like break this glass ceiling. Like I'm going to open up a national conversation here and also give other people the space to come forward. And I know those names come to mind. Like you're, obviously we were talking today, there's Chris Kerr, there's Shane Carty, there was Connor Cusick, like Barry Hennessy. There's like loads of names I could say now, but at the time I didn't really have a reference point of, of yep. somewhere to go or to turn to. And I wanted to, I was still dealing with my stuff, but I wanted to change it. And to answer the second part of your question, like there wasn't, a, there wasn't one big issue. There wasn't a trauma of like an abuse or there wasn't a, um, there wasn't an addiction or there wasn't like one big thing, Donald. But I suppose what there was, was a series of smaller things that added up because I couldn't process what I was thinking, feeling, and I didn't know how to take better, like the right actions to take. Like I did 
what we've all probably done variations of at times is suppress, compress, push down, smile, wear a mask and pretend I'm doing okay. And in the middle of all that journey, one of the mistakes I did make was, and I touched, like I relate to some of what you talked about already, like my athletic identity became who I was. So Al Namara, the footballer, if I was playing well, if Kevin were going well, I could kind of, you know, things were going well for me. Or I would certainly you were pretend. Well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and anyone that's listened to this, like the time I was growing up playing for Calvin, like we weren't going well that often, to be perfectly honest about <laughs> it. Um, and that also, like that boiled down if the team was winning. But then there was also the stuff like, you know, selection, am I playing or am I not? Like that was, that was defining my self-worth. So if I was in the team, yes, I'm good, I'm worthy. But if I wasn't, I was a goalkeeper, so there was only one spot to get into. Like if it wasn't, then that would start kind of eating and clawing at me. Um, but I give like an overview of what will come to mind of issues that happen in that kind of period of time is... Like the death of my granddad, who was like the first person who I loved that like died. And I didn't know how to handle like bereavement. I didn't know how to handle that grief. I came to the end of like a long-term relationship with a girlfriend who from my teenage years, you know, like your first true love Mm -hmm. and that kind of, when you're a teenager, like this is the one we're going to be together forever, which like wasn't the case and isn't the case often, but I didn't know that. Um, Was in a college course I wasn't enjoying, like... I suppose all that, I, I didn't really know who I was or what I was about, Cap- felt I was capable of more. So all I did was f- sport and football became that thing to just be like, okay, I'll wear that mask all the time. But mm. th- there was other parts to me and the kind of, as the years went on, you felt like they were, I wasn't being true to myself, was being inauthentic. And it just became this energy drain where I felt like I was an actor in my own life almost. <laughs> um, and like, I, th- I think it kind of came to a, it's bottom. And I know like some of my stuff, even like from listening to what you've described, like it sounds so, tr- some of mine genuinely will sound almost like trivial and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, but I came to the end of another 21 journey where we had a breakthrough win. We won Ulster, the first Cavan team to like win anything in so long. So it was like, this huge like ordeal, such a huge achievement. And then I kind of trans, I, I advanced like the senior setup and it just became such an anticlimax so quickly. Like I didn't feel the connection. I didn't feel the escapism. I didn't feel like the, almost like the love of the game around me. And so when that was taken away, all the other issues which had been burning away, like it just collapsed. And when in a six month period, I basically, easiest way to describe was when in a six month period, I went from playing in Crow Park, chasing my dreams, living my dream, to hitting the my rock bottom where for the first time suicidal feelings became or sorry suicidal thoughts became suicidal feelings and then like they almost became a suicidal action and that was the first time where I use a little triangle like what am I thinking what am I feeling okay what action am I going to take that was the first time where I was like that nearly I, I nearly did that um, and that just you know that just shook me to my core um, to the point of, you know, visualizing yourself dying, visualizing yourself, your, my parents at my funeral, for example. Like I remember seeing it, my parents in my local church standing beside my coffin crying. And that's what pulled me out of, of that moment. And um, was, was that, you talked about visualization earlier, like there's visualization on the other side of it, like the, the and like that's, that would be kind of the snapshot of, of what happened though. And I kind of, I did want to kind of touch upon like how different my journey would be to yours, you know, like how different those issues are, but yeah. also how we both ins- arrive at the same point, like a question and everything, question yourself, ultimately thinking, do I even want to be alive? Yeah. I, I actually think that it's really, really important here, Alan, the very fact that, okay, whenever people kind of hear my story or whatever happened, they'd be like, Jesus, that must have been terrible. Or, you know, and then obviously yours is different and, and it's community, like a, a lot of different things, but we felt the same way mm-hmm. whenever we were in rock bottom. So no matter what, and I, this is, and I actually wanted to ask you two questions here regarding that. Like whenever you felt in that sort of rock bottom, did you be like, oh, but hold on a minute. My problems aren't even that bad compared to Johnny down the street or whatever. James, who's just something really bad's just happened to him. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's really important to note because whenever we're in a, as you say, we just suppress them things then. As in a society we live in, especially in, in Ireland, and I suppose in the North, our parents and their parents were brought up, I suppose, during troubles or whatever, they're brought up to say nothing, you know, say nothing and get on with it. And I suppose, especially in here in Belfast and, and like, and 
we're a man and man up and stuff like that. But it doesn't really matter what the problem is. It's the feeling that is the consequence of the problem. So for anyone who's listening, who maybe think I'm really, really struggling, but my problems aren't as bad as whatever. It, they are because our feelings are the same and we have to tackle that. But see, even just going back a tiny wee bit there on, see, see, see whenever you were playing. And I think this is really, really important because being like, and I'm probably on the fringes of Antrim and it, that's was probably hard to accept because I was coming back feeling like I was going to be like 18 year old, done on the best player in the county. And mm-hmm. sometimes, and I've, I had to accept that that's just not you know, the way things are going to be. Did you, did you worry about what other people were, 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 were saying about Alan Lamar? Like, you know, were you comparing yourself to the other goalkeeper? I'm not as good as him. Or was there any, was there any of that in terms of like how you viewed yourself, body image or whatever? Nah, like I think like by the time I like spoke about all the stuff and that, like I'd obviously done two, three bodies of, I would call them two, three, like, blocks of training and counseling where I'd kind of really dug in yeah. and built myself up enough where I felt okay like I am comfortable in my own skin I'd be lying to say there wasn't insecurity there like I'd yeah. be lying to say that um, after releasing the article like getting back into the team I was like yeah like I like if I don't get back into the team am I just this like sad person that just like has a sympathy story and can't even get playing on the team like I'd be lying if those thoughts weren't there but I suppose the big difference is kind of as we've just touched upon like as you go on that journey of well-being like you start realizing okay what am I thinking like to be honest with you we all have like hundreds thousands of thoughts all like a day a lot of them aren't true or a lot of them aren't real like and then it's okay what am I feeling okay so let's say I think yeah, look at you writing your article. You got all that praise, but you can't even get in the team. Like you're a loser. Like you're still like you're crap. Like you're you're a fraud. And I go, okay, how does that make me feel? Okay, maybe I feel like embarrassed. Maybe I feel angry. But then I get to choose how I respond to it. Then I get to choose like my action. And it's like, okay, what am I going to do about it? Like, um, sometimes as you said, that could be journaling, being like, yeah, that is stupid. Like, and the talk comes in and it's gone. And see you later. Maybe it is. Hey, I'm gonna go back to my counselor. I'm gonna dig into this and have a conversation about it. Um. So I definitely would be lying if I said that it wasn't challenging. But I suppose the, the big thing for me was when I separated Al Lamara, the person from Al Lamara, the player, Donald, was that like, I felt comfortable to step away from the game at different times. Up until when yes. I went for help, no matter, I just was like lost in this thing. And I'd be like, grind, persevere, be resilient, you know, like keep the like chin up, chest out, all those kind of stereotypes. But there was times then afterwards where I just stepped away from the game. So like 2014, I was struggling again, gone through the National League, wasn't getting in the team, played the last National League game, was coming into the championship. And I was like, I'm I'm, go- I'm going to step away from here because this is bringing me down. And as much as I thought I'd pieced it together, I hadn't. Mm. Um, so didn't play 14, didn't play 15, came back in 16. Um much better in terms of where I'm at myself. Basically, was a backup keeper all year 2016, but at that point was way better equipped to deal with it and actually took joy in my role within the group in terms of being part of it and being plugged into it. So yeah, like the... Definitely was challenging. Um, mm. And I suppose like the other thing I wanted to touch upon just from what you said there is like the difference kind of one of the things we do and def- I definitely would relate to as an athlete is like we compare ourselves to other people like yeah well if he can do that like I can do that or if like he can handle that I can handle that like it's mm-hmm. with, with mental health and well-being like it's never a competition it's not who can endure the most like that's not the prize for this stuff yeah. it's mm-hmm. and how you arrive at that point is there's as, like I said earlier there's so many different things that can happen to us all resilience levels are different like issues backstories are all different it's not a set equation of like um, like we're, it's not an even competition, basically. No. Um, and the but big the same thing, destination. <laughs> yes. And it's like, the big thing is that like, when you reach those points, is that like, um, you internalize it and you shame yourself. And I, the one thing I did want to say, is, even as I was saying my stuff, don't like it sounded trivial compared to what you described. But I remember feeling like I was the only person in the world feeling that way. That's what I remember. I remember thinking, you like the shame, the guilt, no one else feels like this, only me. And I suppose I just want to kind of hammer home that like, that's just like not true. Like, mm-hmm. um, and like how you arrived to your granny's porch versus how I arrived to driving down the motorway thinking about crashing my car into a wall. It doesn't really matter because that's where we are. And as people then and as humans, like, it's okay. How am I 
going to move forward here. And that was kind of where I wanted to go next with this to throw it to you. Like I always, when I reflect on that time, like describe it as like a U-shaped valley. And yes, I was high, all was good or, you know, certainly looked like it was good. And then you end up, there's like this journey downwards and it can happen at different rates of pace, different steeps uh, or different slopes, but you ultimately arrive at this bottom. And I feel like me and you could spend honestly like about six hours talking about everything (laughs) that went wrong in our lives. And I think we've both given a fair overview of the kind of backstory of what happened. Mm. And I just, I throw it to you, but like I would feel more comfortable and kind of, I feel like the conversation would be more helpful to talk about like the rock bottom moment itself and then kind of advancing from there. Yeah. Um, I yeah. don't know if that's your feeling or if it was that and kind of you, anything you did want to dig into in terms of backstories or kind of getting to that point. No, and I actually, and this is could open up a whole new can of worms because it's actually my, like obviously I was beating, like for my get out of rehab, say, like you go into Alcoholics Anonymous and, and people who are struggling with gambling go to GA and NA for narcotics and stuff like that. And, it helped me get well at a time, but you're going into your room, Alan, and you're constantly talking about what happened. Mm-hmm. Like you're constantly bringing up of what we just talked about. Like, and you're doing maybe doing this two, three, four times a week. Like, so where's the where's the progression? Where's the getting on with like a new life or a new start or like, do, do, do you know what I mean? And I I listened to a lot of podcasts and massively in the podcast and and the diary of the CEO Stephen Bartlett done one with Jimmy Carr one time and Jimmy Carr, the, the comedian and Jimmy Carr, uh, had the first 20 years of his life was shocking, like very, very bad. And he actually says, okay, so say on average, we live until we're 80. He's like the first 20 years of my life was crap. So am I going to let like the first quarter of my life mm. be dictated? You know, am I going to let that dictate the next three quarters or am I going to let the first, or am I going to use the first quarter as ammunition for the next three quarters of my life to push on? And I, I listened to that one day and went, wow, it's so powerful. And it's so true because we, like, and you just said there, you're not Alan Lamar, the footballer or the athlete or whatever. I'm not Donald Nugent, the alcoholic or the drug addict or the person that was in rehab. You're not that the Alan Lamar who, who, who's depressed. No, that's not us. And that's, and I suppose that's why to be excited about who you want to become and stuff like that came in there because I wanted a future and wanted to push on, but also knowing that, you know, this is going to be with me and it is the journey with no destination. We do need to keep working on ourselves and and constantly, you know, having our guard up for want of a better term, maybe. But I just think that I I, I agree with you. And it's it's that staying, staying well part and making that next step and being like, Do you know what, this has happened, okay, but how can I, I suppose, move on with my life? And I think it's like just seeing what you're doing, I suppose, what I'm doing now. Like I, I launched, uh, let's face it, um, about a year ago now, I have a weekly podcast to do a lot of work within schools and businesses and I have live events, you know, wellness events, not sort of doom and gloom it's like right this is what we can actually do with our lives if we keep on top of these things and that's mm-hmm. I suppose what I maybe even want to get into next in terms of you it's nearly like maintenance I suppose isn't it and maybe like checking in with ourselves and what I suppose we'll both do even to, to look after our, our mental health and well-being and there's a couple of things that you even said there about like even Kevin if they're doing well you're doing well uh, and then you said about maybe you, you made that separation and I wanted to ask you, like, how, how did you make that separation? And because like, I'd be a big believer in not putting my happiness in anyone else's cup, sure. you know, and, and, and filling up my own cup first. Like, so how, like, in terms of that separa- separation and being like, do you know what? I'm all Lamar. I have a lot of things going on mm-hmm. in my life, which are great, which I want to do. It's my purpose, but this is who I really am. And I, I'm able to sit on a, maybe a Saturday night and watch a film. I'm not worried about what everyone's saying or the world or any madness. Like what, how do you make that separation? Um, I think like if I was to jump back a couple of years, like I think definitely when I was in my early twenties, like I used to always feel like I just wore whatever environment I was in, like I would kind of wear a mask to match that. So like if I was in work, I was Al Namara at work. If I was at football, I was Al Namara, the footballer. And I kind of felt like, I was, I don't want it to sound extreme. Like I was some like, kind of like, you know, like mad person, like just like with multiple personalities, but I did always feel like I was adapting to be where I was rather than who I am. Um, 
and how I actually broke it down was I st- like you, you go into a you go into a therapy situation, which for me was talk therapy, and you kind of go, okay, like I always remember having a conversation with him, and he was like, like, who are you? And I was like, what? Like, and he was like, like, how would you describe yourself? And I was like, what's this fella talking about? Like, I got me, I'm Al Lamar, I'm the footballer, and I just I couldn't get to that second level or th- like never mind the third level of kind of like mm. what I'm about, who I am. Um, but if I think how I, I actually start getting there was I ended up like, I kind of start like looking at my life as there was a series of pillars. Like, so there was my family, there was my friends, there was my sport, there was my work, there was my hobbies, there was my well being. And at, at any stage in life, like things go good, things go bad. All those pillars are constantly moving basically. Like, so like if one is going well, maybe it's covering for one that's not, or if one's not going well, I can lean on the next one. Um, but the, the mistake I made when I was younger was that like, even if I knew I had those pillars, football was just like massive skyscraper that just dominated all of them. So like everything else would be sacrificed for that. Um, and I was readdressing that balance over time. And again, like it wasn't this big breakthrough for me. There wasn't like a big moment, but it was just like constantly, I suppose if to really bring it back to one thing, like it'd be the self-awareness of like, kind of like what's going on like what's happening around me and like I don't want that to sound wishy-washy but it was just becoming more attuned to my world rather than like my sport um and making sure that I was looking after those various things and it would kind of lead me back to one of the things we were talking about earlier though like and I know you you're probably talking about it from the alcohol and like the cocaine perspective and to me listen to you it's like that's just giving you escapism from what's going on inside you and likewise for me there was definitely times where like my GA life was my escapism but there's definitely also times where honestly like I I don't like I was never like addicted to alcohol but there was definitely times I was choosing to drink more than I should have been because that was a place I was going to in terms of escapism um and it was again. That's back to self awareness. So you start realizing, oh, I'm doing that. I'm going. I'm going on a night out to blow off steam because I can't process what I'm, what's happening over here. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of one of the ways I I readdressed that balance. And I suppose I, I throw the question straight back at you: Is like, what was what was your experience of trying to to re? I suppose put the pieces of that puzzle back together again. Yeah, <laughs> and I think. It's a hard. It's kind of a hard question, isn't it? But it, it's it's an important one, and I I think again through the self awareness and through the work, and I think for people even maybe listening and going like, like I was so fixated in being the best hurler in Antrim or the best footballer in Antrim, like as a consequence to what? Do you know what I mean? So if and let's be very very realistic, like even not even just the best, but the best and maybe even Ireland, and do you mm. know what I, like. You're not going to be the best hurler in Ireland if you're playing for Antrim. Let's be realistic. Do you know what I mean? So why can like why can I not? So if I'm focusing and focusing and focusing, putting all my energy into being the best and wanting validation of people who are standing on the or in the stands or in the stand or management or all these people, if I played well, then it was a pat in the back. And again, I can relate a lot to what you said there about if I'm on the if I'm on the if I'm on the team, then I'm 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 sure I'm going back into the house and the McGrannies and I'm the happiest man in the world. If I'm not, then don't talk to me. And it was like, and then work, I was missing days of work and I was doing all these different things because I was trying to get into this team. Like, do you know? So if I'm focusing on trying to be the best at this and putting all my energy into that, then my mental health, I'm taking my off the ball there. Maybe my social life in terms of meeting new people or maybe meeting a girl or anything, friends, you know what I mean? Friends with outside the GA, not really connecting with them, not really doing anything. So instead of focusing all my energy into that, I sort of found, I like to use the word balance, you know, more of a balance to life and being like, do you know what? I'll, now, I'm not saying that I don't put everything into the GA and put everything in the Alton Harden. I do. Do you know, it means an awful lot to me, but it doesn't dictate what happens on from Monday to Friday. Like a Sunday afternoon does not dictate what happens. And I think that's really, I think that's how I've sort of found that balance and separation. Um, that I can get up on a Monday morning and go and work and maybe help people and do a podcast. And I suppose perspective too, uh, stepping out of what you're actually in, because I think a lot of us are in this sort of out five nights a week, training so hard, trying to maybe stay up in the league, win a championship match, whatever that would take our eye off the ball and every, everything, everything else. So I think that I have a good balance between my work life, my social life, uh, like, uh, 
every Wednesday morning or just this morning, like we have a wee accountability group of a couple of lads from Tyrone, like I'm going to go to hot yoga, do you know, and we're stepping out of, we're not talking about football or hurting all the time. We're, we're, we're trying to develop our lives and, uh, and help each other grow and surrounding myself with, I think we live in a society where people want to see you do well until you do well. And then they want to backstab and throw in the odd comment and they want to put you back down. So it's actually spending time with people who genuinely want you to do well at their best interest and vice versa and creating that sort of small network of friends and not having like, I used to be paranoid about not being a part of WhatsApp groups or seeing people out in the night out and being like, why am I, why did I not get invited? I, I don't know, you don't drink. That's why you didn't, do you know what I mean? Why am I not involved in that? Because they all take drugs and they don't want to take drugs around you, do you know? But at the time I was going, Jesus, they don't, they don't like me. I'm not cool or whatever. Whereas now I can sit back and be like, like what I just said there and asked you about, like I can sit on a Saturday night and watch a film on my own and be totally content and comfortable in my skin because of a balance in my life, of a good network of people around me. Hurling isn't the be all and end all, even though it means an awful lot to me. Of a good enough wee business or of good people around me who work and do this video stuff that I haven't a clue about. And I don't get stressed out about silly. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that, but again, it comes with self awareness and it comes with, I think it all just boils down to love, Alan, too. And, and loving yourself. And I know that sounds a wee bit cringy or whatever, too. But we had a thing in Sister Concilios, and it's something that, that I work on even a lot now is, is she, she had a thing. And it's very religious and it was like, I'm I'm good. I was always good. God made me good. And you used to have to say this all the time, you know, but I would actually, and, and people say about success and, you know, and we always do compare ourselves with other people, but I, I strongly, strongly believe within myself that my success is to be able to wake up in the morning in a bed because there was times I didn't have a bed and to get up and go into the bathroom and look in the mirror, brush my teeth and look at myself and say, you know what, you're doing all right. Mm. you know in the grand scheme of things you're doing okay and 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 see if that's all I do for the day then that's a win because there's some days where I didn't even have a bed or I couldn't get up or I didn't want to face the world and every I genuinely everything else is a bonus and I think just having that simplicity and and just yeah a good just a good core of network of people um I think people are so important to people who we surround ourselves with so so important because as you know uh, we can't do this alone you know we yeah. can't get out of these rabbit holes on our own like so and it's important even for our journey and to keep going and to keep progressing and to keep wanting to be the best person you are be excited about who you want to become is the, the people in the network of people will have around us like can i jump into then to that point because i i do feel like let's say i talk let's say i talk about the usual would you agree with that sorry which but but that i said there but yeah. the people yeah yeah, yeah. oh 100 like yeah. it's um like I think the core point of the start of what you said was around like actually learning to accept yourself and like love yourself. And I feel like, say I was listening to you there, I kind of hear, and I even go back to things in my own life, don't love. You're actually doing a lot of stuff to fill in the blanks, to avoid being by yourself, to like, to deal with your th your thoughts, to deal with your feelings. So it's like, yeah, I'll go train on five days a week. I'll go and do a recovery session. I'll go on the beer. I'll go to, where are the lads at tonight? Where are they? I'll go like, I'll basically go anywhere. And I, I certainly did this to avoid being on my own. Like, cause it was like avoiding it. But then like one of the big things I found to kind of the, the second point of what you made there, Donald, was that like, when I reached out for help, like when I opened up, one of the things that stopped me doing it for quite a period of time was I felt it would damage slash break relationships with family, friends that I had. And I'm able to obviously look back on it now, like I couldn't have been more wrong. Like my, for my experience of it was it infinitely strengthened relationships with the people in my life <laughs> that were going to yeah. be staying in my life. Um, yeah. they might, that might have been teammates, for example, that might have been mm -hmm. coaches, but in terms of the people who were going to rally around me and be there with me and for me, it infinitely strengthened them. And it also helped me link up and connect with people I'd never even met before. Like, I feel, I don't know, he won't mind me saying it because he's been on this podcast. Like I would talk to Niall McNamee like most weeks. Um, and we actually met through the shared experience of around the same time he spoke about gambling. I spoke about mental health and just you kind of find these like kindred spirits or people at the same point of a journey that are, yes, their, their path to that point is different. The path they take out of that point will be different, but you're then able to kind of what you're talking about, like to support one another, to connect and feel like definitely feel that you're not alone. And like, 
one of the there's a funny story I often tell of like when I actually start like letting people into my cert like my friends know what was going on and I was living like I was in college this is going back a good while like but like I was I was in college and was living with boys that had gone to school with and I remember like, saying to him lads hey can I talk to you and like can I talk to you in the kitchen for a second and he was like yeah I'll be out in a minute like I'm playing FIFA and I was like no like I, I'd been building this up in my head for hours and I was like I need you in the kitchen now like so he comes out and he's like what's wrong with you like what's the story and I kind of mum- I, I was like it was quiet and then he was like like what do you want and I remember mumbling like um, um, I'm dealing with depression I've been going to counselling the last while and and he was like, huh? And I was like, yeah. And like in my head, I was like, crap, why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? Like the whole thing's ruined now. You're done. Like this friendship is over. And he just said, he was like, I went to counseling for a while last year. And I was like, what? Like <laughs> we've been living together, best friends, hiding these things, dipping in and out. Like oh, I'm just popping to whatever and like going to counseling. And I was doing the same thing too. And it was one of those, like, on these journeys that we all go on, like, as you start, like, open up and reflecting, it was one of these things where just a penny drop that I'll never forget, like, in terms of just, like, how little we can know about what's going on around us, but also how much we get into our own heads then as well. And, like, that guy at that time became an incredible confidant for me. Um, then if a person, you just felt like, understood again like or accepted mm. and it was such a it was such a key moment for me and I suppose I, I kind of say it from the perspective of you go back to surround yourself with people and stuff like yeah like I I suppose I felt like it was just completely like isolated on my own and that shame and guilt but I said by opening up and that's kind of the key point and it's not like hey stand you don't have to walk into a room stand up on a chair or a table and be like hello everybody <laughs> like this is what I'm dealing with but just by getting those small little like like those small little conversation those people around you like it I don't and I don't know what your experience of that was though but for me it really helped me feel like I could breathe a little more again and I wasn't walking around with this monkey on my back or this like weight on my shoulders I felt I had a little more bandwidth to actually work through this point in time yeah and that's like even whenever you're having that conversation with your friend there there's there's your friendship then goes to a completely new level in terms of there's a respect and there's a bond and there's a vulnerability and a proper trust that you can actually and and, and listen, I, I'm massively into this, not only within life, but also in teams, like creating that bond and respect and being able to be vulnerable each other. I think it's so so important. But you mentioned there are a few things. I did experience that with a lot of people in terms of me being sort of open and honest. A lot of people probably knew that I was taking too much drugs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but on the other side of it too, Alan, and I haven't been really, I haven't really get into that, this side of it too much. There's, with what happened as the consequence of me actually coming out and being open and honest, I lost people too. Yeah. I was just going to ask you. And, and people who were, people who were not, not, not that I lost them. I had to make a conscious choice to disassociate myself from their lives because it was in the best interest of me mm. and my recovery. And that's not just friends. It's, it goes a wee bit deeper than that. And that was very, very hard to do. Uh, some people I haven't seen for four years from I was in rehab, who I think about probably every day, but is it my best interest uh, to look after number look after Dono and Dono's recovery? Absolutely. Um, so I had to say, do you know what? I can't be associated with what you're associated with and make that choice. And sometimes, and I think that, you know, because even when I talked about at the start there of what happened, there's a lot of people who I work with don't open up because of that, because of the consequences that it might have within a family or whatever. But what I would say is the relationships with it with different members of, say, my family or different people who were close to me growing up has been unbelievable. The amount of people who have actually got around me and be like, do you know what? Like I'd show some kahunis to come out and say what you said or whatever what you're dealing with. Um, and I think it's also important to note if then people then do not want to be a part of your journey, then that's okay. Yeah, That's totally. okay. But I, I don't use up energy like hating or disliking or even, you know, I, I just think it's silly. Now for a long time it did. My whole life it did. Even whenever I got out of rehab, there were some times I was going, geez, I wish this was different because I want to do X, Y, or Z. But now I'm like, that's okay. That's their journey. This is my journey. I've good people around me. Someone said to me before, don't know your friends or the family you choose. Do you know, all this type of thing. And so I think that don't be afraid to, get, to come out and talk because there will be people 
who can replace X, Y, or Z, or whatever. And and, and I think back to the point that I made before you were chatting there, see whenever you're comfortable in your own skin on, you can look at that person in the mirror and know deep down your values and what you're about and what you stand for. And if then people don't, then I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah. Because my life and my journey and me being healthy um, and being comfortable in my own skin is far, far more important than trying to get validation or to me to validate or make excuses for, 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 for other people. Do, do you know what I mean? T- tough enough subject that, but it's. Yeah. And like, I have an even tougher question to follow up just as I'm thinking there is, um, like I was thinking like on an earlier episode, don't like, I know when I spoke to Colin Kilpatrick from Tyrone regarding his gambling addiction, like obviously life and addiction, be it to drugs, alcohol or ga- like or gambling, it can actually mean you cause hurt and pain to other people too. And so as well as you having to make decisions around kind of, I need to kind of block that people out. There may also be people who then don't want to, re- was to, to re-engage with you because you've caused them hurt or, or them pain. And yes, you might be, want, we want to seek forgiveness or try and repair that relationship. But there also is times where damage has been done and where there, other people are at. And I suppose I was kind of, without getting into specifics of who or whatever, but like, was there was there people you lost in that way too, in terms of like through your actions and your kind of behaviors during that time? Alan, it's addiction. I I talk about it every day. See the the person who's in active addiction. It's not really about me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm the one who's getting it probably relatively easy, sitting in a corner of a pub or sitting in a you know self sabotaging. It's a family disease, and I, I I say that, and not just family, friends, the people who love you, and that just filters into their lives, and they're the ones that are not sleeping at night. You know, they're the ones who are like worrying, Jesus, is he dead? Is he ever going to come home? Where is he somewhere in England that I haven't heard from him in three weeks? They're the ones who are constantly, constantly carrying, worrying. Like so, carrying the worry and carrying the kind of... 100%. And I'm the one who who's sitting there, has has their phone in a kit bag in the corner of the house and haven't looked at it in, in two weeks and no, okay. one's ever, no one's heard from me. It's very much a family disease. And I think that's really, really important to note too. And there is different services like Al-Anon and stuff like that where families can go and get help advice for people who are in active addiction but yes absolutely and there's actually whenever i went to kumura obviously we didn't have contact with the outside world but anyone who i sort of thought that i affected or upset or done wrong by i wrote them a letter okay and explained to them what was going through and what happened and why i suppose and 99.9 percent of them people wrote letters back do you know what I mean? And I think that I, I'm probably, listen, there's people who have been, are in active addiction and the, the, the mate just got caught up and like, I didn't have a driving license at the time, mm. for an example. So like I could have very easily get into a car and knock someone down and kill someone or something. And there are things that you can't probably live with or give yourself forgiveness for. Now there was girls involved, you know, throughout that period who I cheated on, girls who, you know, do you know that type of thing? Because I, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. You live in a life of like, dysfunction, right? Like, but ultimately it's like a dysfunction, like you are a dysfunctional life. 100%. So even like, like I wrote Damon's letters or wrote, so, so that's one of the things that I done is wrote people letters and explain them and apologize. And, and then like, that's whenever I started to build a connection with Art Podrick again, mm-hmm. through letters. Okay. Uh, my brother, do you know? So you're old school, after, like you're, and sorry for jumping in here, but like you're, yeah. you're taking the time to sit down and be with your thoughts, kind of reflect back. You're putting pen on paper and posting it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you're, there's a couple of days wait because this is, you know, you got to put a stamp on a letter and it's got to get there. He's reading it. I'm sure it takes a couple of days for him to do the same thing. So what's that like with him? And that, I suppose the process of like you build it up in your head and you put thoughts to paper down and say, like, okay, here's my story. Here's my version of it. I want them to understand. I want to build kind of that rapport and like share that experience. But what's it like then when you start getting those letters back on the other side? It's firstly see what you said there. It's it's mental. See whenever you're posting the letter, and then every day you're you just waiting, about it. you're waiting, you're waiting yeah. on a. Is there any letters for me? And I, I suppose for anyone who's listening that knows my story, I want to sort of hear about rehab or anything. See if you have a friend that it's in rehab, write them a letter. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you can't write anyone enough letters when they're in rehab because the most loneliest place, and all you want to know is that people still love you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, so just getting them letters back and just building them, and I think that. 
like obviously as a world and as a society with social media and all this here and you know like taking photos or voice notes or but there's something so real and meaningful behind a letter yeah, I agree you know, like, and yeah. on writing and waiting on that coming back and, and I tell you and I see even me and my dad too like see our relationships since then writing letters and being vulnerable with each other on a piece of paper it's just been like and now we're inseparable do you know what I mean like me and Podrick and I very very close me and my dad very very close same values same morals you know we're very like and he and he doesn't like he I used to think that all he wanted me to do was play for Antrim and be the and like he we, we don't even talk about football hardly anymore do you know only if there's a match in TV or whatever it's very much in terms of growing and self-development and stuff like that so them letters honestly even with the girls that I mentioned and stuff too thankfully like they wrote back and and, and things are good and it's all left on a you know, I'm not, I'm not going on dates or anything, like, but it's, yeah. it's, it's left, it's left in a good, healthy enough spot that, like, I, I'm comfortable with my own skin. And, 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 and do you know what? And I think the big thing is here, I, I had to forgive myself too. Yeah. Instead of getting the big stick out and beat myself up all totally. the time, I had to forgive like myself. And, for yourself. and it helped whenever they forgive me as well. Mm. It was really a big part of my recovery, like, definitely. It's, you know, as, as I'm listening to you there too, though, and like, I think about, say, going back to earlier, we've talked about, like, how a variety of things can happen to get you to rock bottom, but then also the path out of there is, is it can be very different. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking of you in treatment where you mentioned the word lonely there, where it's like, so you, how long were you in, how long were you in, in treatment for? How long were you based in the three months? So you're three, 90, 90, 94 okay. days. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because I'm thinking like, I, I mean, I don't mean funny literally, but like, you spend months, like months and months of, if it's alcohol, if it's cocaine, if it's training, you're basically doing all these things to escape and avoid being with yourself and dealing with your thoughts and feelings. And then you're thrown in, and I'm curious kind of what that experience is like to be there for three months, because mine's different, okay? So I'm in like a, I'm in talk therapy where it's kind of an hour a week. So I've got like, mm -hmm. I'm popping in. Yes, there's an intense hour. You're emotional afterwards. You're kind of dealing, but you kind of go back out to the outside world straight away again, or I'm going home to my house that night. Did you struggle with that, Alan? Um, oh yeah, like... Um, Do you know what I mean? So you're going into a room, you're being so vulnerable, you're being open, you're being honest, and it's nearly like the world stops for an hour. Definitely. And then all of a sudden, like, it's like, Boom, I have to go back out and face all this stuff. So it's a wee, it was a wee different for me, like, you know. Yeah, no, it, de it definitely struggled. And like, I, I mean, I mentioned masks earlier. And in some ways, that process, you have to wear a mask because, like, I'm coming out of, like, and yeah, you plan your counting sessions around, like, you know, so I'd hopefully I don't have to go to work afterwards or, you know, if I, am I going to train in later? And you kind of try and mix and match. But it, it it was hard because like to be to be honest with you, there's sometimes I went <laughs> actually think about it now. Like let's say I go to a, I, so I do an hour in there. I'm in my chair. I'm kicking back and we're talking about stuff. Maybe the eyes fill up with tears. Maybe you do cry. You're talking and you kind of get that initial release and that kind of buzz of like okay, I I would say like inside there's like these emotions. I've dug the shovel in and I've got a couple of I've got a couple of loads out and you kind of walk out feeling yeah no that was good and glad I did that. And then about three four five hours later, let's say you go home, you get into your bed that night and it's like. Like, bam, like it just yes. hits you again. You go like, <gasps> um, and it was nice. Definitely. I lay there, barely sleeping a wink, just been like trying to, trying to process, trying to like, that was the time it would kind of hit the second wave. If you get me, mm. um, and it was definitely a challenge. Um, but obviously, you know, and you're backing yourself that the work you're doing is for you. And you talk about like mm. your vision earlier, kind of what you want to become. You know, you're investing in yourself and that this is basically like training to become the person yeah. you want. Um, but yeah, I flipped that back over on you again. Like that was kind of a, what my experience of it was like. But I suppose then, what was it like for you in terms of, because yours is obviously a much more intense, like mm -hmm. you've got to break your routine, you've got to break habits, you've got to break situations that you're finding yourself in. So what was that, what was that like? Like how do you reflect back on that time? So, uh, hell. <laughs> so basically like you go in the, whenever you go in the rehab, like it's the first two weeks is in a detox area. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, so there's, we have a courtyard and it's like, maybe 20 meters by 20 meters. And that's the only area you have for outside space. And the thing about recovery is the good thing is you get your feelings back. The bad thing is you get your feelings back. You gotta feel them. Yeah. So I had no room. I had nothing to escape these feelings, like nothing. Mm. So sitting there going, Jesus, don't know. Like looking around you, back to the comparing bit. Like, look at your man, look at your man. And I always associated an addict or an alcoholic with someone lying on the street, you know, on yes. a sleeping bag and the hurry and not, not someone's not my age. And, uh, 
that was very, 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 very tough. Just sitting in them rooms and everything was so slow because I was always 100 men an hour, right? Who can I get a bag of coke off here? Who can I rob here to try and get this and try and get that? It was just all madness. Um, so actually just slowing down, just sitting there, it was, it was very, very tough. But like I tried, I, I tried the AA meetings and I tried the counseling and I tried all that. And that's why I asked you, was that tough going back out of the real world? Because um, I was just going into these counselors and just telling them what they wanted to hear and leaving and going and fucking getting the drink. You know what I mean? Right. It was just tick the box scheme. So I needed that isolation away from the world to, to, to really like strip myself down and just build myself up. Like, um, wouldn't, I genuinely wouldn't change it, but it's, and I think the hardest thing any human being can do is look inwards. We're constantly trying, we're constantly like, if something goes wrong, his fault or her fault or whatever. Do you know what? It's it, like, mm. hold on a minute, look at the real problem. And that was very, very tough. And I mentioned there about putting away the big stick. I had a big stick for, yeah. for the first probably month of my time in rehab. Like going, honestly, four years ago, you were studying to be a teacher. Like you, 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 you'd really good at it. I was just, you're a head boy in the school and now you're sitting in rehab. Part of what happened? Like, mm. do you know, so just constantly beating myself up, like the people hurt and all that. But through time and through building yourself back up. And as I say, there are them we things that you put in place and you go into Sister Concilius, you go into rehab and nothing. I left with a toolbox, a toolbox and how to deal with different things that were going to happen to me whenever I went back out into the real, real world. And that toolbox maybe had two or three or four different tools in it. And I suppose now with the more work that we do, and, and I suppose you might be able to re relate to this, the more work we do, the more people we'll have conversations with, the more therapy we do. Toolbox just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And anytime these things or obstacles or anything bad or just indifferent may come yeah. my way because there's a big bad world out there too. I can go back into this toolbox and be like, I've dealt with this before. This so, is how i done this. Boom. So practically, practically done, like for anyone listening, like... What were like? What were those things you took away in terms of feeling like you've got either skills or if it's a coping mechanism? Like what? Give us an idea of kind of what they are practically. Then, if like when you if you've got to reach in and grab it, what is it you're grabbing? Like what works for you in that situation? So the first thing I'd almost got a sponsor. Okay. So it was to get someone I can just bounce things off, mm -hmm. and that's just someone who's lived it. Do you know what I mean? Getting a sponsor, having someone on my side, um, who you can tell anything to. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. anything. Um, having that, um. Being able to, as you say, like when after the journaling, being able to focus on, and you you touched on it there with the work, knowing that there's a bigger picture here. Um, and I think the more and more of them things happen, like the more, the more I was self-aware, the more I started to go, do you know what? These are just, these are just wee moments that I'm having. This isn't just me. So if I'm feeling really down, I would have been really down for like a week or two weeks or months, maybe. Now I'm like, I'm feeling down. Because some, there's some days I'd be driving up the road and my wee chimp would come in and say, don't know, get on the drink. Like, you're no, yeah, you're nowhere definitely. near good enough. What are you doing? You're a fraud. You're this, you're that. And I'm like, put the window down and throw it out. But you know, so it's happened then we things that, and it all comes down to self-worth and self-value. And I think Gilmore and Concilius are, it's a big place for, for building you up like, like that. And, uh, and, and having a wee bit of respect for yourself. Um, but that big thing there, picking up the phone and just ringing your sponsor, ringing, ringing a friend, um, and knowing what you're about in terms of your values. Uh, and that, you know, we're going to have these, as I said, there, they, they, they used to be weeks, months, maybe at least go on for a long time. I can get out of them things now. And, you know, it might take me a day, but that's okay. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I mean I, and then tomorrow I can just start again. And that's, that, that, there's nothing wrong with that either. The Players Voice Podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the series now. Part two of my conversation with Donal Lugent will be released next week, where we will continue our deep dive into mental health. While there, you can also find previous episodes with leading inter-county GA players like Neil McManus, Niall Morgan, Vicky Wall and Ashling Thompson. Remember, if you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and are impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, you can call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, please check out the Samaritans, Pieta House or Quinn Moira. Thanks for listening.